Welcome into another edition of New Track Record. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney with you. And this week, joined by a special guest, our Road to Indie Insider. It is Rob Howden. Rob, thanks for coming back on the show. It's always a pleasure, guys. Anytime. Now, Rob, a lot of announcements involving IndyCar and Indy Lights affiliated uh, drivers just in the past few days. Of course, we had the Chris Griffiths test last weekend at IMS. But first, uh, another driver moving up from Indy Lights to IndyCar, Devlin DeFrancesco. Struggled a little bit in lights this year, but had uh, a couple of podiums and finished second in Indy Pro 2000 in 2020. Uh, What should fans expect from him in IndyCar his rookie year? Well, you know what? I think first and foremost, if you look back at uh, at what Devlin did, you know, initially he came into the program set to start Indy Lights in 2020. Of course, with the hiatus, uh, you know, that turned things around. What is he going to do? He ends up driving Indy Pro 2000. And if, if some of the fans really don't look that deep into the road to Indy, you've got to remember that he was able to win in his first ever oval race at Worldwide Technology Raceway Gateway. He ended up finishing second in the championship in 2020 behind Stingray Rob. He moves up to Indy Light this year, and again, getting more comfortable with that race car. Um, I thought he had a really, really consistent season. Came out of the gate super strong with a couple of podiums early, but wasn't able to kind of roll with that. But, you know, like everybody else in the field, kind of getting steamrolled by Kyle Kirkwood, uh, David Malukas, Alinas Lundquist, right? It was a three-driver show to the end of the season. You know what? He's a really consistent driver. He's got a ton of talent, and he's going to be with a really good team, right? He's alongside Alexander Rossi, Roman Grosjean, and, uh, and now, of course, um, the entire rest of the Andretti team. So the bottom line is, is the guy's going to have a lot of great equipment, and he's going to be consistent. He's, got, he's the kind of driver who's not going to make a lot of mistakes, which I think will be key for him in his rookie season. Now, taking a look at some of the other drivers who competed in that top three Indy Lights uh, test, getting an uh, IndyCar test at IMS earlier this week, you look at Linus Lundquist, He's a guy who uh, had a good season, finished third in lights. Not really sure if he'll move up to IndyCar or return for another year of lights. Where does his status stand for 2022? Well, again, another driver came out of the gate super strong to start 2021 and was in that kind of three-driver battle through the middle of the season. This is a super, super talented driver that can, no doubt in my mind, could run IndyCar this year. But I think primarily for him, he doesn't have a lot of budget, and that's the problem, right? Very similar to Kyle Kirkwood, not fully supported financially. So for Linus, I think the best thing for him, I'm hoping he's able to get back into Indy Lights, because if he will, you know, and for, for the most part over the many, last many years, it's been kind of a two-year program, right, coming up through USF 2000 Indy Pro. You put Linus Lundquist back in a car next year as a sophomore in Indy Lights, and he is immediately the championship favorite with whatever scholarship's going to come down for Indy Lights next year, however big it's going to be with, uh, of course, IndyCar's connection now. Um, I don't see him in, in Indy, IndyCar next year just budget-wise, but, man, if he goes back to Indy Lights, look out. He's the, he's the kid that could be in IndyCar for the next 15 years. Is there an expected team for Lundquist next year? Uh, you know what? Right now, I don't know. That's one of the things. I don't know that he has any room um, at HMD Motorsports. Uh, Andretti, I'm told, is pretty much full already. There's some places that we maybe rumored that, that he could be going, like uh, potentially at TJ Speed. Um, excited, excitement, of course, today that uh, Exclusive Autosport finally announcing uh, their run now in the Indy Lights, a full, you know, full package through the entire road to Indy for Michael and Kimberly Duncalf. Does he end up there? I don't know. I'm not sure how much budget he has. 
the Linus Lundqvist. Uh, I don't see him go back to HMD Motorsports, although it is a possibility. Of course, last year he came in with the scholarship he had from winning the Formula Regional Americas program. Doesn't have that money in the pocket now. So really, we'll see what happens to Linus. Uh, again, in the road to Indy, if you're a top driver returning like Linus, I don't care what level of that, teams are going to want you because uh, you know how to get around the, the track. And you know, for a team like TJ Speed, just throwing it out there, He's a guy that's, uh, you know, was in a championship battle this year, has won races. He'd be really good to pair alongside the rookie, Kiffin Simpson. All right. Finally, the one driver that we have no clue what to expect for his IndyCar hopes in 2022, it's Kyle Kirkwood. He's done a couple of tests with Andretti Autosport. He's been rumored uh, to Foyt, to Andretti, to even Aero McLaren SP in a a partial entry. Where does it stand for him next season? Wow. Uh, you know, I, I think that obviously with Devlin's um, uh, news today, I don't see that obviously there's any room for him at Andretti. Uh, Penske's already said that he's going three cars. Uh, there's not a lot of places left for him to land. Um, the Foyt, you know, the Foyt news, I've heard it as well, the rumor there, that seems like it could be a fit for him. We saw what Sebastian Bourdais was able to do with that car last year. So obviously, it's, you know, it's a, it's a Firestone Fast 12 car. Um, it can get in there with, with the right driver. Um, as I've said before, you know, Kyle's a generational talent. I've had the fortune of watching him come up through the, his karting days as a junior carter, through senior national-level karting where he won the big races and won the championships. And, of course, no one in at least the 25 years I've been doing this, and I think most people would say this, no one has a record like he does in terms of junior formulas, you know, F4 champion, F3 champion. He's won five championships, all three of them in the road. Dini. No one's ever done that before either. This guy has it all, not just the talent, but he's got the marketability outside the race car. He has the patience that you can't teach, right? I, look, I always go back to USF 2000 when he didn't always qualify on pole, but for some, somehow when the chaos happened in turn one, Kyle positioned himself correctly and got by into, into the lead or at least into a good spot. He's got so much uh, patience. He's so impressive. Um, again, Foyt's probably, the, I think, his best bet right now for a full-time ride. We know he comes in with the money for three races. I really want him to be full-time because, again, doesn't have the full budget. So I kind of look at him like, you know, like hopefully like a Joseph Newgarden who came in with Sarah Fisher Racing, was able to race there and learn there and, you know, build his reputation and credibility before getting picked up. Uh, by a Roger Penske. So I think that could be the best bet for Kyle Kirkwood. And ideally, he'll be able to continue what he does with Vassar Sullivan and IMSA because I'm telling you, this kid is just... It, we're going to be talking about him, Caleb, in you know 10 years like we talk about Joseph Newgarden right now. Rob, just to stay on on Kyle here for a little bit, and you know the stats that, um, that 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 you've put out there on Twitter are just astounding. You mentioned the five championships, eighty eight top five finishes in one hundred eleven starts, eighty podiums in one hundred eleven starts. I know that fully paid seats are at a premium in IndyCar, even with the turnaround we've seen in the last several years in the sport. But are you surprised that right now, a that Andretti let him walk? And 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 B that that no owner really has come forward at least yet and say I'm not letting this kid go. Like you said, he, he's a generational talent and and he could be a future IndyCar champion. Are you kind of surprised that he hasn't landed anywhere yet? Yeah, I, I really am. I, I 
I asked Michael Andretti when we, on IndyCar Radio when we were at Laguna Seca that, you know, how do you let him go? Look at the guys that he has let go, right? The Pato Award. Yeah. <laughs> right? right? All over us, you guys that have raced for him and won championships for him, and, and how do you do it? But it, it really, listen, we got to come back to reality, right? I'm the eternal optimist, but, but motorsports is a business. IndyCar is a business. Even some of the best racers are coming with some funding, right? They've got some personal sponsorship they've put together. Um, you know, Kyle's got the scholarship, but I don't think he really has any personal funding put together yet where he can say, hey, listen, I got this, plus I've got a $2 million sponsorship or a partnership from this guy where I can kind of potentially fit in. So I think maybe the lack of that little extra maybe is what it is right now. But again, anytime you're coming up through uh, the ranks, it's hard to get that sponsorship. Somebody like a Roman Grosjean, he may have some of his own sponsorships or a guy like, um, uh, who am I thinking of right now? So I just lost it. Um, the guys come in with their, with their own their own money, right? Marcus Erickson was the thing. Right? He comes in with some some cash from you know being able to put together the deal with Husky Chocolate. You have to have some kind of sideline money. So for Kyle to come in as he did, very similar to Oliver Askew, with no funding whatsoever, um, you rely on the opportunity, and they don't always happen. I don't know if it's just kind of the ebbs and flows, the waves, you know, just in the way things go through the sport. Because Oliver Askew, of course, didn't have any money, but he was there right at the right time when yeah. Arrow was decided to make the big move. They went to two young kids in Pato and Oliver. He got a shot. Obviously, we know what happened. There's a storyline through there, and he's not been able to continue, but he had the shot. This particular year, there's just no shot, right? There's not, there's not that opening where there's a team saying, hey, we want to take a shot at this young kid. And it, it, it's sad for Kyle, but it may be even more sad for, the, for IndyCar because, like I said, this this is a kid. This is another Joseph Newgarden. This is a kid that's going to come in and and impress. And the funny thing is, I'd love to see it to be one particular team, whatever, one of the bigger teams. But the bottom line is, what if he goes to Foyt and impresses everybody? This could be something that we look back at as being an amazing story where he went to Foyt and was able to post a bunch of top tens and somebody said, hey, listen, now we got to grab this kid. Sure. Uh, Rob, you know, staying with with Indy Lights and we're seeing, you know, some of the near, uh, you know, short term changes uh, within the Penske uh, organization now. Um, But looking, you know, into next season and and maybe even longer term, what are some of the things that you've heard regarding Roger Penske's plan uh, for Indy Lights going forward? Well, you know, I, I, they haven't released the schedule yet. I've seen it, but it's, it's not for me to, to say kind of what's going on schedule-wise. I think really what, you know, what Roger does, obviously, if Roger owns something, he wants it under his own umbrella, right? And, and it kind of lined up with the end of the contract that Anderson Promotions and, and Dan and Michelle had with Indy Lights. And you look what they've done over the last number of years, kind of picking up where the Indy Lights program left off, took it to some pretty, you know, pretty solid highs, brought in a new race car, a lot of new suppliers, we moved to the Halo, adding that, the Halo-type device uh, for last year, which I think is huge and will, and will make things even bigger. You move it to, to, to IndyCar, and there's just so much more that they're going to be able to do with it because it's right with them. You know, I've heard, heard terms of integrating it more into the paddock, and that's something, you know, we were in the road Indy paddock. Now Indy Lights is going to go into the IndyCar paddock. It's, it's, it's semantics to a certain extent, but there are things that, that if it's really, if, if they, you know, the IndyCar PR crew, the whole communications team works on it, the social media. It's going to be more a, a, attached to IndyCar. And just the optics of that, I think, will be good for IndyCar. I know everybody over at the road, meeting, myself included, we are thrilled with what we were able to pass over because you could see the momentum we were building over the year. Um, all these teams were coming out, the TJ Speeds, the exclusive auto sports. You know, we saw Jacob Abel 
uh, with his team at the Chris Griffiths test. I've been saying for the last year, maybe six months, the work we've done behind the scenes, I, I was expecting 15 to 17 cars. I knew of the new teams that were coming, the drivers that were looking to come over here, the expansion we were going to see. So really, we did the best we could. The hiatus in 2020, a strong season, I think, in, 20, uh, in 2021 here with you know, the 13, 14 cars, and then seeing that bump moving to, to, to next year. You know, the bottom line for, for Roger is he's got deep pockets and he's got IndyCar and all the, all the media powerhouse there. If he activates even 50% or 25% of what he has available, it's going to be big for, it's going to be big for Indy Lights, right? And I think that's the key thing. Um, I would say, you know, look, people should look to see Indy Lights at some of the venues maybe we weren't at last year because they're with IndyCar. And I think that's one of the things that's going to start taking. It's going to help bump up Indy Lights a bit, which is fantastic. You mentioned car count. I mean, we had 14 cars at the Chris Griffiths test for lights last weekend. You can easily get to 15 uh, for the full season, just you know, counting the new additions and what teams have typically run in the past and maybe even push close to 20. Is a lot of this growth due to even just a change in the schedule and a change in leadership with Penske taking over lights, You know, having – less doubleheader weekends and maybe shortening the travel a bit? Does that help a lot, too, for sponsorships and going further with these teams? Well, when you see the schedule, the travel is actually going to be a little bit more. There's one extra event. Uh, no, obviously the growth, these teams didn't come together over the last month, right? This thing literally happened, as we know, when we were at Laguna Seca uh, at the end of September. So all this growth has been coming beforehand, right? The, the teams that are announcing didn't just start. start. They've been, you know, the growth happened earlier in the season, the teams, like I said, the teams that were starting, the drivers that were coming in, all a majority, a majority of this stuff obviously uh, came earlier in the season. So uh, what I will say is that this growth will be fed. That's the beauty. You know, the, the, we're, you know, the road to Indy was able to provide the growth. It's the fuel from IndyCar that's going to be able to take things to the next level, I think. And, and you mentioned 14 cars at the Chris Griffiths. You know, exclusive Autosport wasn't there. They already have a driver signed. We're going to buy a second car. I really believe with the with what you're going to see next year. I've said 15 to 17. I would not be surprised to see 16 to 18. And as you mentioned, if all goes well, if every team that's told me, hey, we're buying cars, whatever it may be, if everybody buys cars, there's going to be 20 seats available. Will there be 20 drivers? I don't know with budget, but there will be 20 cars potentially if all goes well in shops ready to go racing this year. Now, with Indy Light's growth, obviously IndyCar has been going through a growth period as well as far as entries and people competing in the races. Any kind of incentive, like a leader circle incentive or extra testing time, has there been any discussion of incentive for IndyCar team owners to dip into Indy Lights and get some sort of benefit out of that? Well, I think probably the guy you got to go track down right now, like I did at the Chris Griffiths test, uh, you know, is, is the new man in charge. Obviously, he's not me. It's Levi Jones now. He's kind of handling uh, the Indy Lights program. I'm sure all the talk he, that he'll have will be that. I'm sure there will be a lot of that stuff. I had a chance to talk with Levi very briefly, first time I met him. Um, and you mentioned the, the excitement of, and the growth of Indy Lights and, and IndyCar, which is great. Because, you know, the more, the bigger the growth and the more excitement surrounding IndyCar, it filters down. Um and, I, and believe it, I talked about that. You know, the bigger IndyCar is, the more people are going to come to Indy Lights. The Europeans, now that we have the Halo, it's, adding the Halo-type device to the Indy Lights car, the Delara IL-15, I think has been really big. I think a lot of people have said, hey, that's what I needed. I was looking for that extra safety. 
they may still not want to run ovals, but to have um, have the, the halos big. The Dwarf IL-15, when it comes to ovals, was built for the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. It has the double bulkhead up front. The car was built specifically to be able to run the speedway. So in any oval racing that they are able to do in the future, that car is going to be safe. But the addition of the halo, I think, was really big. But what I talked to Levi about just really briefly when I had a chance to chat, IndyCar's success is great. Indy Lights, of course, is growing, and it's feeding downwards because if we look at future growth for Indy Lights. And for me, you know, Michael Andretti, I just saw an, an interview with Michael talking about the fact that Indy Lights being strong is really good for IndyCar, and he'd like to see some more IndyCar teams in Indy Lights. It's the same the other way. Um, the stronger Indy Lights is, the more guys are going to want to come into the road to Indy. And we're looking at potentially having anywhere between 16 and 18, if not more, drivers in Indy Pro 2000 this year. And that's the category. You go back to 2017 before we brought the new car in, only had six or seven full-time drivers. So bringing that new car in that we have from Tadis, you know, we're going to go to all new uh, cars. The Cubs will be different uh, for Indy Pro. And USF 2000 will have halos on both of those series this year. And I think, I think when you think about Indy Lights and how it's going to grow in the future, the fact that we're going to have a larger pool of drivers in Indy Pro 2000 may be the biggest thing for Indy Lights moving forward. Rob, we talked about the uh, the top levels with with Indy Lights. Let's talk about the the new one, the USF Juniors. That's uh, a pre step to the ladder system. Talking about offering its champion a scholarship package to enter USF two thousand. So, uh, take us through how this came about and and really what it does, adding another you know step, so to speak, in in the road to Indy Ladder. Really, you know, the primary motivation to that was uh, looking to see how. Uh, how competitive USF 2000 has got. You know, at the start of the program, you look back in 2010 when Sage Killer won the championship, we had 10, 15 drivers at the entry level of open-wheel formula car racing. You know, now we're at 24 to 28 cars. It's unbelievably competitive. There's different teams that can win. And we have a great relationship with the good folks at the Lucas Oil School of Racing where their formula car series champion wins a $75,000 scholarship to come to USF 2000. And we've seen great drivers come through that. Reese Gold has been a race winner in both USF and Indy Pro now. Scott Campbell winning this year. And, of course, Eli Navarro, the most recent champion. And we saw that that jump from the Lucas Oil School to what is now an ultra-competitive USF 2000 was getting a little wider than we maybe were comfortable with. So the concept was, hey, what do we, let's do something budget-wise between um, the Lucas Oil School of Racing Formula Car Series, which is, I think, around fifty-five dollars or $60,000, and, of course, running in, in USF 2000, we were almost $300,000 for a budget. So the concept was, what do we got to do? Where do we go? You know, obviously there's an existing Leger uh, car out there that we can use. And it's, it's like, yeah, this car's here. There's a hundred of them out there that have been built for one year. This is going to let's, let's do this. Let's put, put a program together. And we are very close to announcing the, the, uh, the schedule for that. Six weekends, a number of, a couple of double headers, a couple of triple headers, some pretty cool venues that, that are going to be coming out with the announcement. But the, the bottom line concept was we need another series that simply speeds USF 2000 because the USF 2000 series is just so competitive right now. We need to have better training for drivers coming into USF. Now, one of the things that was announced a few weeks ago, Rob, USAC would be the sanctioning body for the three series that are owned and operated by Anderson Promotions. What does that mean? Well, I think first and foremost, you look at what USAC's done. Of course, Levi Jones was kind of running the program over there along with Kevin Miller, and and they were expanding what they did. We know what USAC does, of course, in the world of dirt racing, but expanding into road racing as well. They had their Porsche Sprint Challenge that they sanctioned and a number of different things. And 
you know, again, IndyCar and Roger Penske, if, if Roger owns it, he wants it under his program. And really, what he, he wanted to make sure everything that he ran is what he affiliated himself with. So we were sanctioned by IndyCar. And essentially, Roger's like, okay, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus on my stuff. So, you know, for, for Dan Anderson, I was like, listen, we need to look for, for new sanctioning. We're going to still have all the connections, all the services we get from IndyCar, every, you know, every race weekend, like timing and scoring, like having the AMR IndyCar safety crew for all the, uh, the Road to Indy events. But, you know, we, needed, we didn't need a sanctioning body, but it was like, let's connect with somebody who's connected with ACUS. Um, I'm not sure if you know or not, but Atkins is, of course, it's, it's the FIA branch of, uh, of racing in America. We have uh, ASN Canada. There's ASNs all around the world. It's called Atkins in, uh, in the U.S. And USAC is one of the member organizations for Atkins. So uh, Dan Anderson said, you know what? I worked with USAC when I first started the series back in the 1990s. And, and uh, it was, listen, let's, let's connect with somebody who is in this sport, getting into road racing. Let's get a partner is connected with ACUS. Let's do that and move forward. So essentially, uh, you know, USAC's going to be in charge of, of working our licensing program, our credential program, and we're looking forward to developing a, a relationship with them. Rob, there's no one better to really break down, you know, the next uh, next crop of IndyCar drivers coming up. And, and you know, we, we pretend to know stuff about the Indy Lights drivers, but who are some of the uh, maybe champions or other drivers that are expected to take a step up the ladder in 2022 that have really caught your eye? Well, listen, I always like second-year drivers because I, I like to see how they develop. If you look at any lights, I think Benjamin Peterson was one of the guys last year that had a great second half of the season. We'll start with lights, and I'll go a little deeper. Um, you know, Kiffin Simpson was a, was a kid who's, who's leading the FRA championship as well. He was a rookie. He was actually pretty impressive at the Chris Griffiths test. And, and Kiffin's a rookie, but remember, he's with TJ Speed, and that's a team owned by Tim Neff who is an absolute legend in terms of being part of Indy Lights Championships and the IndyCar program. He's won an Indy 500, tremendous engineer. Um, you know, again, we always look for the guys that are second-year drivers, like a Daniel Frost. You know, he's going to step things up for sure. Uh, I think that Stingray Rob, of course, signing with Andretti will be a driver to watch. We always we always look at the guy coming up with a scholarship, right? Christian Rasmussen, kind of following in the footsteps of, uh, of Kyle Kirkwood. He won USF 2000, and he won Indy Pro, just like Kyle did. And uh, Christian, uh, who will, like, will run with Andretti Autosport this year, I believe, I don't think it's been officially announced, but I think that's where he'll be. He tested with them, obviously, at Griffiths. I think he'll definitely be a guy to watch. Uh, I like the fact that Hunter McElroy was able to test. I really hope he's able to come up with the, the, the funding to run Indy Lights because he's a winner in USF 2000, was a winner in Indy Pro. This is definitely a guy to go at it. I hope that Rasmus Lynn's able to come back. I know he tested with Hunko's Hollinger Racing. Um, and what do you what do you think about seeing Matthew Brabham back? That kind of caught me off guard, and I'm hearing potentially he has a budget to run next year. That, that could be really interesting. Yeah, that's a guy that, you know, he runs stadium super trucks and it's, excels at that over the past few years, hasn't run IndyCar since 2016. That one was definitely a surprise. So you're saying he could run full-time in lights next year? It's a rumor I'm hearing, yeah. Um, again, he, you look back at, I know you, look, you talk about stadium super trucks, but he was a USF 2000 champion, was able to beat out Spencer uh, Piggott that year. In 2013, he stormed to the championship in Pro Mazda, which is, which is essentially the Indy Pro 2000 category. So he's got all the pedigree as one of the top guys uh, in open wheel racing here in the last decade. He just didn't have the budget to get back to that second year in Indy Lights, which I think he probably would have been the dominant factor uh, running with Andretti Autosport. Uh, but yeah, you go further. You know, you go further into guys to watch in the in the, in the road to Indy. Um, 
one of the really impressive guys I thought we're starting to get some more interest, I think, from overseas. And one of the kids that was really, really strong, he's been his first, uh, second or third, I think, in the last three years running British Formula 4, GB3, like the, the British Formula 3, and then Euro Formula Open. That's Louis Foster of England. He was at Exclusive Autosport, and, man, he made a, a really good impression out of the gates at the Chris Griffith test. Rescore for Home Coast Racing was able to win last year. I think he's going to be a guy to watch out for. Uh, there's a lot of really solid talent that are going to be moving up into Indy Pro 2000, the USF 2000. And again, like I said, we had a big field, 17 cars at the Chris Griffith test. We could have 17, 18, maybe even 19, 20 drivers in Indy Pro 2000. And that will be the biggest field we've seen since back in 2015. Rob, another name that's uh, intriguing, and he'd be a newcomer, Ernie Francis Jr. Now he competed in SRX over the summer. He's a, I believe, seven-time Trans Am Series champion. He's raced right. some in sports cars. He's done some some uh, F4, I believe. What what are expectations for him as he's likely going to run the full season with Force Indy and Indy Lights next year? I find him fascinating, to be honest. Um, I actually, uh, you know, talked with Ernie a little bit. You know, you mentioned the SRX, uh, all, all those championships in Trans Am. Uh, and then, of course, actually running the Formula Regional America Series this past year and scored a victory as well. So uh, the guy's an all-around driver. All he's got to do is go jump into a sprint car or a midget and try to follow the footsteps of Kyle Larson because he really is an all-around driver being able to go from the big, heavy stock cars, uh, which is a Trans Am car, essentially. It's a road racing stock car. And then being able to jump into that more nimble, uh, you know, car for the, the Formula Regional America Series. So actually, I believe we're racing this weekend at, at the Circuit of the Americas in their finale. Uh you know, out of the gate in an Indy Lights car, a lot, again, the jump from Formula Regional America is like jumping from Indy Pro 2000 to Indy Lights. So a raw rookie coming out and was not that far off the pace, which I thought was fantastic, just over a half a second off of Benjamin Peterson in the final session of the Griffiths. So that's solid. Uh, and, again, they were all super close. That's what I thought was great. Everybody was pretty close there in that test. Um Listen, Four City's a great team. They've got some great people behind it. You know, they did USF 2000 this past year. Uh, they'll put the program together. Roger will have the right guys involved. John Boslog, of course, was the guy who will likely be running it. He ran the USF 2000 program as well. Um, he'll just need seat time, guys. That's all he needs, right? He needs seat time in this particular race car. It's 150 more horsepower than the FRA car that he runs. Uh, less horsepower than the stock cars he runs, but a lot lighter as well. So he's just going to need seat time. Um, I, I think he's going to be a tremendous story all year long. I really do. The only thing that I think is going to be a hindrance for him, if he doesn't have a teammate, he lacks that extra bit of data. When you're racing against HMD with four to five cars and, and Andretti with four cars, there's so much data and so much experience, not just behind the wheel, but in the engineering room as well. So I, I just think a single car with Ernie Francis without having that one other piece of data, I think could be, could be, could be a little bit of a disadvantage. All right, Rob, last question before we get to what, what you're up to lately, because you're always on the road doing something interesting. Carlin, lights program, is that not going to happen next year? Yeah, the cars are gone. Um, I, I, I want to uh, Christian Bogle, who raced for them, owned his car. And uh, the other car, I believe, was owned that, that Alex Peroni ran, I believe, might have been owned by uh, Jay Howard Driver Development, but it's already gone. It's already in another shop. I can't, off the top of my head. I can't tell you who, who's bought it, but I think it's already gone. It might have been able Motorsports. I'm not sure. So they're essentially added into lights. And to be honest, one of the one of the stories at the Chris Griffiths test was a number of the Carlin 
uh, racing crew were seen working in the Hunko's Hollinger racing pattern. And of course, I don't know if you guys have heard of that, I'm sure you probably have, but there's a potential thought that the single car, single car, car Carlin IndyCar team may potentially merge or at least work together with the single car Hunko's Hollinger uh, team out of their Speedway uh, Indiana shop. Right, it's just just what like a couple miles, maybe a mile from the from the track. So that's that's a big rumor right now. And to see some of the Carlin guys there at the at the, at the Griffiths test, so that's that could be a possibility, and it could be a really big benefit for both Carlin and Hunkos to have two guys uh, for 2022, two cars under that same tent, get get that opportunity to have that extra data. Now, would, you mentioned Jay Howard Driver Development. Is that a team that could step up into lights next year? Or are they still another year away? You know, I haven't talked to Jay yet. I, I would think that maybe another year away. I don't. I, I don't know. Getting in early would be a, a good idea for a team as a business plan, right? The car, the current car we have right now, I believe, um, the Delara IL15 is locked in until 2025. So it's another four years. So if you're a new team coming in, you have a chance to amortize that car. So the earlier you get in, the longer you have to amortize. And Jay Howard's got a great program, right? Won the last two championships in USF 2000 and Indy Pro with Christian Rasmussen. He also has an F4 program than the USF and Indy Pro 2000. So he's not that he's spread thin, but he's got a pretty good program with three different levels already. I have no doubt in my mind that he would like to get there one day, and that will be a thing to be thinking about. Uh, whether that happens next year, I don't know, but uh, we'll see. It's, it's, he, is, he has put together a really good platform, and it would not be that hard. Uh, it would just take money, right? It takes an investment, uh, capital investment to make the step up to that level because they've got some really good engineering staff behind them. All right, Rob, where are you off to next? You're always going somewhere interesting, usually with the karting world. Yeah, no doubt. Obviously, with the Road Dandy program done now, the Chris Griffiths set is finished. Um, my last race of the year will be the first week of December. I head to Las Vegas to the Supercarts USA Super Nationals. It's the biggest karting event really in the world, but in North America for sure. They normally get over 450 drivers to come out to run there in the parking lot of the Rio um, full coverage, live coverage will be on the Supercarts USA Facebook page on Super Sunday, which is the main event. And uh, a couple, if you're an IndyCar fan, I know at least two drivers that are coming, both Will Power and Joseph Newgarden will be racing this year uh, at, at the event. So it should be always exciting first week of December. And always exciting for uh, the kids who go out there and say they, they beat those guys. Well, listen, hold on. You, you go back and look at it. Literally, we were just playing on our eCard News radio network this weekend. The guys that ran in 2012, and you keep going through, Max Verstappen, Pato Award, and Lance Stroll. All wow. racing there in 2012 at the end of their racing careers. Lance Stroll, I think, won the Ted Junior class. I think Pato won the Shifter Junior class. And I want to say that on the, in the KZ, like, international Shifter category, the top level, I think Max qualified on pole but had something happen to him. If my memory, that was what, nine years ago. So I'm getting, a, I'm, I'm losing my memory. But yeah, <laughs> look at the drivers that we've had over the years at that event. You know, you go back, it's, been, it's, a, it's a 24th anniversary of the race. So, you know, it was a Hinchcliffe and those Ray Hall back in the day. Uh, you know, Charles McClurk raced there as well. We've had a lot of really tremendous guys that have gone on to professional racing. Uh, run there, and even and they and they come back, which is which is great as well. Michael Schumacher came and ran back in 2010, 2013. I think Will was there. Um, who else was there? Sebastian Bourdais came and ran as well. A lot of guys will come back. Dan Weldon would always come and run four or five years in a row. He came and and was part of the action there. And uh, Dan, a good friend of Supercarts USA, and as he always said, karting is the purest form of motorsports. Rob Howden, our Road to Indy Insider, also. 
obviously our, our carding beat guy as well, joining us. As always, Rob, uh, thanks for joining us, and I'm sure we'll check in with you before the road to Indy starts up next season. Uh, we appreciate it, guys. All the best. So much info packed into that interview with Rob, who's always one of our favorite guests on the show. and Always has answers. Yes. you know, Does not hesitate. I, I found it interesting, his take on Ernie Francis Jr. That's the guy who I'm most curious about for lights next year. And, you know, I was looking at the lap times. He's not kidding. He was about five, six tenths off the, the lead time. Very competitive. And that's with a, you know, one car operation, essentially, for his first you know, major test. Now, he did a test before on the road course, I believe, a week or two earlier. But as he gets more seat time, I mean, it seems like he could legitimately be competitive in that series right away. Yeah, most definitely. And, you know, I I was glad to get some honesty out of Rob in terms of Kyle Kirkwood because I've been the guy that's, you know, really, I I can't believe why Andretti didn't find a spot for him. Look, I know money and all that stuff. Look, this, this guy's won 50, what, 57 times and five championships in his junior career. I mean, 80 podiums in 111 races. I mean, it's amazing what this kid has done. He's as close to a sure thing in terms of being a star in IndyCar as it comes. I'm not saying it's guaranteed, but with that um, you know, resume, it's pretty darn impressive. And for him to be trying to find somewhere to go for a full-time ride is, is absolutely mind-boggling to me. Yeah, it, it's it's kind of hard to wrap your head around, and I guess let's just get to the Kirkwood topic, you know, before we move on to a, a change for a racetrack and other silly season news and rumors. But I, I guess to me, we've all seen, you know, most off seasons, and I don't know if there was truly one last off season that I can think of right off the top of my head. But there's always, you know, it's. One step forward, two steps back every offseason for any car, it feels like. Yeah. And this would be a massive step back if Kyle Kirkwood can't land a full-time ride. I'm not saying, you know, if he gets a partial season ride, like, that's enough. To me, it's got to be a full-time ride for IndyCar next year. And whatever team that may be, you know, we mentioned Aaron McLaren SP. We mentioned Foyt. Andretti seems like they're out of it. Uh, IndyCar Deep Throat actually just messaging that Ed Carpenter Racing has inquired about Kirkwood. Um, that would be an interesting fit. You know, who knows if there's some connection with the Vassar-Sullivan side and them linking up with Kirkwood to go somewhere because he, he races with them on the IMSA side. But I just, I don't understand. And, and you asked the question to Rob. If you're Michael Andretti and this Devlin DeFrancesco thing seemed like it was it was already set. I mean, the the way he talked about it with the announcement, they do Indy Pro 2000, they do Indy Lights, they do Indy Car, they have everything set up, they sign him to a multi-year deal for the 29 car for Indy Car. However, if everything plays out perfectly, the, the, the dominoes fall and Kirkwood gets a ride with Andretti. That's the understanding we learned yeah, that Kirkwood would slot into Herta's seat, the 26. DeFrancesco, obviously, would keep the 29 regardless. Herta goes to F1. Everyone's happy. However, that didn't work out, and Andretti let his, his option on the contract expire as of earlier this week. I just I don't understand how you can let Pato Ward get away. 
Um, you can let Oliver Askew get away. You can even, letting... you can go back to Sage Karam, you know, yeah. many, many years ago. But none of those guys have the the resume that Kyle Kirkwood does. Not no. even Joseph Newgarden had the resume that this kid does. And look, I'm not saying you go back and, and renege on your, your deal with Devlin DeFrancesco. The problem is you made the deal with Devlin DeFrancesco before you locked up Kyle Kirkwood. My thing if I'm Michael Andretti, whatever's going on in Formula One, whatever, but I'm saying, look, the driver that we need to absolutely 100% sign, I don't care what it takes in terms of sponsorship, in terms of money, if we have to eat a couple million dollars this year, by gosh, we're going to do it because they can afford it. They're trying to buy an F1 team, for crying out loud. So to let this kid get away is 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 absolutely... A huge mistake, and I don't think we're we're over over blowing it out of proportion or anything. I, I think this is a big mistake. You're inst- instead of bringing in Kyle Kirkwood, you're bringing in a guy in Devlin D. Francesco that has zero career Indy Lights wins. He had two Indy Pro two thousand wins. Never won a championship outside of the Spanish Formula Three championship in twenty seventeen. That was a six race series, and he won one time and had three podiums. Um, he just does another resume, and the guy finished sixth in the Indy Lights season this past year, and he's your guy that you're signing. I mean, we saw the the last Indy Lights driver that you and I agreed were not qualified to be in the seat was Dalton Kellett, yeah. and I know Dalton Kellett brings money, and that's why we'll probably see him in 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 the series again in 2022. But I think we can agree that Dalton Kellett isn't good enough to be in a full time IndyCar seat. And I'm not going to put Devlin DeFrancesco yet in that category, but I can tell you he sure hasn't earned his spot on track to be in full-time in IndyCar. What he's done is brought a big enough check to buy himself into IndyCar. It's a frustrating thing. It's been in auto racing forever, but I think this is a a huge, huge um, mistake by Andretti Autosport. Maybe he finds his way back to Andretti at some point, but... I mean, the way this kid has 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 flung it around the track for his junior career, I'm 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 almost a little bit surprised that Roger Penske hasn't said, "Look, uh, we're going to stretch ourselves a little bit thin, but we're going to run a fourth and sign this kid." Yeah, you know, and their reasoning that that I've read was that with the the Porsche LMDH and IMSA programs, I mean, that's essentially like two separate teams, and so they've had to shuffle guys around for those programs. I guess for me with De Francesco, like you said, he brings a big check, but his his results in, in the junior formulas, I mean, they're enough to say, okay, this guy is worthy of an IndyCar ride, right? I don't think like we're saying he's not worthy of a ride that you question his credentials. You know, a couple of podiums and lights, okay, he, yeah, he didn't win any races, but he did finish second in Indy Pro 2000 in, in the season championship last year. So to me, that's enough on your resume to say, you are a, a competent to above average driver. And with how he's tested, is, I mean, again, testing times aren't super important. But in this instance, when people are doubting, you know, what you can do on the track, he has tested really well with the reported testing times. Uh, I think he even led one of the tests. So, yeah. I mean, to me, he what he tested at Sebring and Barber, I believe. And I think he may have led the Barber test. I mean, he was faster than Kirkwood in one of the tests. So. Like Rob said earlier, some of these guys, they get a second year in lights and they really come around, and I think that would have been the case for him. I really do. 
but he's at least tested well been competitive. He's not so far off the pace that it's an embarrassment. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I I, I sincerely hope that Kirkwood gets an opportunity somewhere uh, competitive. I mean, maybe he does go to Foyt and he knocks their socks off and knocks the series socks off by you know having some decent drives in that seat. I'm also worried about him becoming the next Jack Hawksworth and a promising prospect that went to A.J. Foyt and his career crashed and burned, among other guys that's gone there. So uh, I think we're in... Uh, we're in a danger position where in 10 years we could look back and go, man, that was a driver that got away, whether that Kyle Kirkwood's career flames out, whether he goes to sports cars, maybe he even tests the stock car realm of things. If he can't find it, a solid option uh, in IndyCar, I mean, you know, everything's on the table for Kyle Kirkwood. And if he can't get a good opportunity, you know, we could see him gone sooner rather than later. Let's not forget also, there was another option for Andretti. They went out and signed Roman Grosjean as opposed to bringing in Kirkwood to that DHL car. And I'm sure Grosjean brings in some funding as well. I mean, we all know Kirkwood has the $1.3 million roughly uh, check with the light scholarship. I'm sure Grosjean brings funding too. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. Right. He's clearly, and granted, that's on merit. I mean, he's he's a talented driver. But I'm sure he brings some sort of funding to that program as well. So they have that option there on the table, and they, they chose to sign Grosjean. And let's be honest here. Let's look at Andretti Autosport, a team that hasn't had a win by someone other than Colton Herta in two-plus years and hasn't won a championship in nine years, not since RHR in 2012. So they're struggling to find competitive drivers. Uh, we, we, we've talked ad nauseum about Rossi. Um, I think when you're looking at uh, bringing Grosjean in, that's a step in the right direction, we think. But Grosjean hasn't won a race in IndyCar yet. Um, and you're coming in with, with Colton Herta uh, is the only proven driver next year, at least in the short term. So it's Herta, and then it's everybody else that hasn't won. I think they definitely upgraded their driver lineup, though, when you look at 2022 compared to 2021 i don't think that's a question i would agree but what it could have been was uh much much better for sure that's true that's true and you know you look at you know some of the other options and rumors you have uh jenna fryer reporting that kirkwood um again likely to foyt is what she says vassar and sullivan weighing their options lucas headed to coin and among options vassar and sullivan weighing is a foyt deal with kirkwood and again, that's the IMSA endurance driver for Vassar Sullivan. So that's one of the options, according to Jenna Fryer. And again, like we said earlier, if Herta goes to F1, Kirkwood gets the seat. So all this is irrelevant, but that didn't work out. Also, I found this interesting Nathan Brown saying their four car team is complete. Everyone on multi year deals. So apparently, Rossi has a driver option for an additional year. Hmm. Uh, I don't know. I don't think he'll be picking that up if things uh, continue yeah. the way they're going. I, I don't think so either. And also, uh, Brown reporting that uh, as far as the F1 deal, control issues. Not money, but control issues. Apparently, you know, they didn't want Andretti to buy the team but have the majority stake. Huh. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't buy the team either. Uh, yeah, right? That's kind of a ridiculous deal. I, and if you're, yeah, I, I was going to say, if you're the majority owner, can't you just fire that person but i'm sure the deal wouldn't let him so i mentioned earlier about any car deep throat saying that uh ecr is is chatting with kirkwood as far as the having the lights funding also um any car deep throat telling us this one was was interesting to me 
So Zach Brown offered Nico Hulkenberg a two-year deal for the third car, Aaron McLaren SP, and that was to race or not race the ovals. Nico's agent, though, trying to keep him involved with a possible F1 seat next year, which would more than likely be a reserve seat as Nico Hulkenberg announcing he will not pursue an IndyCar opportunity uh, for next year earlier this week. I feel like Hulkenberg uh, just doesn't have the burning desire to compete in IndyCar, and that's perfectly fine. Yeah. But I think you really need that drive if you're going to enter this ultra-competitive series where he's going to be learning on the fly. And if he doesn't have that, then I don't think it's good for driver or team. Yeah, I, I think it was it was cool that he tried the test and, and did all of that. I was surprised he even did the test because, remember, in years past, he's the guy who kind of threw out IndyCar as a – Kind of like that option of like, oh, just in case I need to have the fallback. Yeah. I was surprised he even did the test, so I thought that was cool. Yeah, I think, you know, maybe, you know, if you're sitting as a reserve driver forever, you know, it'd be nice to get in the seat and shake shake some rust off, even if it's an Indy car. So I'm glad he did it, and I'm sure he's glad he did it. It's just, you know, it's not something that's a burning desire in him, and that's fine. Some other silly season stuff, a a lot from... Racer, first off, from the the new mailbag, the return of yeah. the mailbag. Nine pages of mailbag <laughs> this week. But really only about uh, two questions we care about for silly season stuff. <laughs> I thought it was a good read, though. Uh, i got to yes. be honest. Yeah, I told you I miss Robin, but I felt like um, the stupidity factor was considerably lower than usual. I would not disagree with that. <laughs> but, you know, one week does not, you know, change a lot. That's for sure. So Marshall reporting in the mailbag. We'll get to a silly season update in a bit. Hunkos uh, Hollinger Racing reportedly has interest in RHR if a second car comes together. And then they could pair that with Callum Eilat. And also there was a voice at Ray Hall that wanted uh, RHR in that third car. Obviously that went to Christian Lungard. And Foyt team opened to RHR as well in the 14. Um, but that kind of depends on getting budget for that also ecr rhr connor daly that's still up in the air as far as if the air force returns the air force would probably have their pick between those two drivers that you would think those would be good options um then also santino ferrucci doesn't really have the budget and mike lanigan was reportedly the big fan of ferrucci wanted him to take the third seat but the renault alpine money Rumored to be three to three and a half million dollars for Kirsten Lungard. That's a decent amount of change that they're sending over for Lungard. Yeah, kind of kind of hard to turn that down. You would hope Ferrucci at least gets a five hundred ride uh, yeah, for next year. Hope so. He'll, I think he'll find something somewhere. And then we get to Marshall's silly season update, the November first edition. Not a whole lot that's unexpected or that we didn't really know. Again, Dalton Kellett, we expect to be back with Foyt, uh, Rocket. Um, signing on to carry as the primary sponsor of the 14 car. That is up for debate, but there's interest in them adding a second rocket-funded entry to the field, so that's good there. If yeah, that that's a question that we had. Fruition. Yeah, when, when Bourdais was out, we felt maybe that was the end of rocket, but it sounds like they want to make a bigger investment. And even back several days ago, uh, Marshall reporting that Kirkwood has emerged as a strong contender for the 14. Again, mentions Hunter Ray also in this article. Um, but the test at ECR uh, would probably tend to believe that would be the leading candidate for him as of now. And then the third seat for Aero McLaren SP, 
Um, we know it's not Nico Hulkenberg. I don't think it would be Stoffel Vandoorn just because, well, he hasn't even tested an IndyCar yet, and time is running out for that to get put together. But they intend to run it part-time and then full-time in 2023. He did say elsewhere, and I don't believe... Okay, here it is. It's believed Kirkwood was close to something with the team for its third car, but negotiations are rumored to have fallen through. However, that was before this article was written and this contract you know, thing, unless that already was negotiated right away once he became available as a free agent away from Andretti. I, I don't know. Yeah, but then, you know, the story that came out today regarding Hulkenberg by Chris Medlin at yeah. Racer.com also, you know, threw in Kyle Kirkwood at the end um, is, is in terms of being interested in the team. So maybe they're coming back around and trying to figure some things out. And then the other thing of note is what would happen with Ganassi. Uh, he has Erickson slotted back in. It's weird we haven't had an official announcement there. We know Dixon and Plo will be back. Jimmy Johnson We'll be back for road and street course races. We expect him for the Indy 500. In fact, so much so that Jennifer Iyer, the AP, saying, Ganassi will have four IndyCar teams next season, and he told AP he will run a fifth in the Indianapolis 500 for Jimmy Johnson. How about that? And then it sounds as if uh, Jimmy will run the 500 only, and it'll be TK, Tony Kanan, and the other ovals. So I, I guess to me the question mark is what happens with Kanan uh, in his plans for the 500 because he's going to run run the other would they do a sixth entry because that makes it Maybe. sound like it would be five right do they loan him out somewhere potentially i don't know yeah i would think they'd have to fulfill the contract yeah i would think so and then with the other teams you know you have the uh possible mergeification with carlin and hunkos hollinger did you say mergeification? I did. I like it. I did. And we, we talked with Rob Howden about the lights uh, crew for Carlin shifting to Hunko's Hollinger racing at the test over the weekend. So that that's a curious thing that occurred. Yeah. More signs on what could be a, some sort of deal between Carlin and Hunko's. So all of that at play, uh, I guess we kind of got to get to, like, what do we expect to happen with Kirkwood here? <laughs> I don't know. I hope he lands somewhere full-time. At this point, if I had to bet, I would say Foyt right now. I would, too. And, um, you know, that'd be great for Foyt if if they can give him a competitive car. I would hope <laughs> Yeah. that, you know, if he partners with Vassar Sullivan, that would add some more cash to the table. And, you know, like, he, like we said earlier, could that be the other Rocket car? So if it has more solid funding from Rocket plus Vassar Sullivan plus Kirkwood Scholarship... I mean, that would be enough to get you a full-time ride. Yeah, and if it, if it gets you halfway and Rocket is picking up, you know, half the bill for a second car, then there you go. So we'll, we'll see how that plays out. But that is the latest on the silly season as far as the drivers. Jay Fry tweeting out. I don't know if you saw this, Justin. I don't uh, think so. The, the paddock rapidly growing. Teams need good people in multiple areas. We created a portal slash one-stop shop for teams to view prospects' resumes. So if you're interested in working for an IndyCar team, epaddock.indycar.com slash careers, and you can fill out the form. There you go. Put us down as references. It'll get you absolutely nowhere, yeah. but do it it's anyway. It's not going to help you, but <laughs> you can put us down as references. Just you know, notify us of that. All right. The other big news of the week, the Detroit GP will move from Belle Isle to the streets of Detroit in 2023. Unanimous approval 
from the Detroit City Council. It'll be back on Belle Isle for the final time, well, at least for now, June 3rd through 5th in 2022. They move downtown in 2023. You take a look at the circuit, this will be the first time it would return to downtown streets as opposed to Belle Isle uh, since 91, I believe. This is an interesting move. You would think on the surface, Justin, this will lead to obviously easier access to the track because everyone said how hard it is to get in and out of Belle Isle because there's, what, one bridge and you have to take a bus? Right. Yeah, you can't park on the island. You got to take a bus over. Obviously, it would lead to, so I mentioned easier access. In theory, more fans because it's easier access and there's a little bit more seating areas. The track, they did modify it from that initial draft, and there's a very long straightaway, but it's a bunch of 90-degree corners, it looks like. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think some hard braking zones there, but I think the, the cool thing that I didn't realize, it goes around um, the GM complex, like the General Motors. The uh, Renaissance Center? Yeah, whatever it's called. Like, I think that's pretty cool. Um so I'm looking at, you know, in terms of, of hard braking zones, at least three. And so I, I think it can be racy. But look, if it if it's a race that, uh, you know, gets GM to continue to commit to the series long term because of its locale, um, I'm all for it. I mean, if it's basically a couple days of just highlighting GM and, and all that, I'm perfectly fine with that if it keeps them around. I mean, Belle Isle is a unique kind of track that they've essentially made but this will have even more eyeballs on it right so yeah not just in the city i mean you have to be committed to going to the island and all that to see the race you know this could be more casual fans particularly if you build some other activities around it like we've seen in nashville i feel hopeful i i don't know i think it's interesting and i know the races weren't very good back in the day in the downtown circuit but Maybe they figured it out. Does it make GM people happy? If that's a yes, then it's worth the move. That is true. All right. Well, if you agree or disagree with us on that or any other topic, we would love for you to interact with us. You can find us at NewTrackRecordPodcast.com. Why are you laughing? I see you laughing. (laughs) Not laughing at you. Not at all. You're laughing. <laughs> you think people disagree with us? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, one of us at least. Yeah. Nobody likes me. <laughs> <laughs> you said it, not me. We'd love for you to interact with us. Find us at NewTrackRecordPodcast.com. While you're there, sign up for our email list so you never miss an episode. You can find us on social media. Our Twitter handle is IndyCarPodcast. On Facebook, like us. Just search for New Track Record. You can also email us, newtrackrecordpodcast at gmail.com. And finally, as always, you can follow us for free on your favorite podcasting platforms. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. And if you uh, subscribe on there for free, do us a favor. Give us a five-star rating if you could. If you're really nice, write a review. If you're not that nice, we'll just take the rating. That's fine. (laughs) You can also follow us on Spotify or wherever you find your podcasts. All right, Justin. Yes. Enough of that. Time for the mailbag. And as always, plenty to discuss this week. And we go back several days to some uh, some of the news. And uh, first order of business, this is just a compliment. So thank you to Laser Disco. I just signed up for Twitter, only joined to be part of the IndyCar Podcast conversation. 
Wow. Love the show. Your added analysis, insight, and humor help make the 2021 IndyCar season one of my favorites by far. Looking forward to 2022. Was this in- intentional? Did they actually yeah. tag us on accident? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll take it. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, we, we got, got all the love. One of your burner accounts, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll take it. Yeah. You know, we, we do what we can to make ourselves look good. That's clearly a burner <laughs> account, but whatever. It actually, takes. though, thank you, though, Mr. Moore at Laser Disco for uh, for the love. All right. Some responses on Andretti to F1 2021 to 2021. Thanks for the memories. <laughs> short lived. Short lived. It was a, it was a good time. It was a it was a hell of a ride. <laughs> That's right. Uh, R. Cole says, I wonder what this means for Kirkwood. Well, we found out that it. <laughs> It uh, meant no uh, full-time IndyCar seat for him at Andretti, which is, I mean, it's crazy how much was riding on that deal. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the dominoes would have definitely fallen if it happened, but it didn't. Shockingly, something doesn't go according to plan uh, for somebody trying to do something in Formula One. All right. People voting on who do you think will be the 2022 uh, IndyCar Rookie of the Year and... 49% 49% said Christian Lungard. 26% said Kirkwood. Of course, that's under the assumption he's not full-time. And 22% said David Malukas. 3% Devlin Francesco. Some of the replies here. Uh, Nichardson Roa. Kirkwood doesn't look like he'll have a full-time seat next year. Malukas seems like a genuine talent, but Coin has just lost about every talented engineer to other teams the past few years. Devlin hasn't shown us much. Except for his dad's pocketbook, it has to be Lungard. Uh, I'm I'm agreeing. I'm hoping that Kirkwood finds a full-time seat. But right now, yeah, with Lungard, with what we saw at a limited time from him in 2021, definitely promising. He may not have much competition if Kirkwood's not around. Jamin T14 says Lungard's European experience will pay big dividends and he'll be rookie of the year. And number two, RLL driver in final points. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. It's a bold prediction, bold. but I, I could see it. Uh, Nick J. Fletcher, can this be reposted if Kirkwood gets a full-time ride? <laughs> we can just remove the other drivers besides uh, Kirkwood from pole and make it much easier. That is true. <laughs> uh, Wolfman's Belbus. Okay. <laughs> what a handle. Uh, says, correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't Callum Eilat still qualify as a rookie since he only has three starts? And I believe that is correct. So that's another yes, name he to is put a on there. Yep. I don't know if he'd contend for Rookie of the Year, but, hey, if they do that partnership with uh, Carlin, Carlin yeah. I mean, that'll that'll help. It's not going to hurt, right? It'll help both parties for sure. Uh, N.K. Harden, this is on the uh, Detroit move from Belle Isle to downtown. He says, people thought they hated a state park being closed because of a race. Wait till half of downtown is closed off. Generally like the move, though. Track layout sucks, though. Yeah, it's a vanilla track, but, you know, when you're going through a major metropolitan area and city streets, they're pretty symmetrical, you know? So there's not any, I'm sorry, there's no bridges on this one, unlike Nashville. But, um, you know, I think hopefully maybe, you know, maybe after the first year, they'll be able to make some, some adjustments. But I feel like it could be somewhat racy, hopefully. To be fair, Detroit was deemed as a snoozer, and this year it was yeah, pretty exciting. Yeah, we'll take it. Uh, Nick J. Fletcher says, only eight months until you can book rooms at the Wren Center Marriott for that weekend. How about that? That's uh, that's coming around the corner. Hunter's oh. Way 67. We're going to miss Belle Isle. It's a cool layout that has produced some really good races lately, and it looks fantastic on TV. 
I'm a fan. And then uh, Zach C eight seven seven one. Fingers crossed, this is a good move. I generally like Belle Isle, but change isn't necessarily bad as long as the parties involved don't uh, screw it up. <laughs> Paraphrase. <laughs> yeah. We'll see what happens. All right. Uh, also, this from Laser Disco, who paid us the great compliment. He's just uh, sucking up again. Last year was the first time I've watched a race at Detroit, and both races were great, but if downtown provides better accessibility for current and potential fans... Well, still offering an exciting race, and I see this as a win. However, I will miss the fountain celebrations. We have to remember one thing is with these street courses, these street races, the race itself is merely only one part of the show. I mean, if they're going to build uh, events around this, if they're going to have musical acts, if they're going to have support races, if they're going to have, um, you know, beer tents and you know food trucks and you know festivals atmosphere and all that stuff like it's much easier to do that in a metropolitan area or a downtown area as opposed to an island in the middle of the detroit river um it's an exotic locale yeah but you're also limited with how many things you can do around it because of space and you know accessibility basically so if it's obvious that Detroit wants to build more of an event with this race, like we've seen out of Nashville, like what St. Pete has done, and of course what Long Beach has had for decades. So I think while the track may leave something to be desired, if it turns into a bigger event than what Belle Isle has been, and it brings out more casual fans and becomes a boost to the economy of Detroit, and, and and they feel good about it and supporting it for the extended future, then I think it's a it's an absolute win for IndyCar. Well, and, you know, I, I think I read somewhere, I think Marshall Pruitt said, you know, they're trying to copy the Nashville model. You know, you move downtown, like you said, it's an event, and I just, I think this will draw more people, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, definitely. make it more available, it's more of a party, it's more of an event. And I know with the island, even they kind of had limited stuff on what they could and couldn't do, right, due to time and all that. Yeah, absolutely. So I think this this opens up the options for an event type atmosphere over the entire weekend, and I think that's good for everybody. A poll on what people think about Detroit moving downtown: thirty six percent said meh, twenty eight percent said bring back Cleveland, twenty seven percent said love it, nine percent said hate it. All right, responses here: Nick J. Fletcher. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Keep the unair conditioned buses as a primary method of transportation or the people will riot. Maybe we can all park on Belle Isle and then bus to the city. That's ideal, I think. Double the traffic jams. <laughs> hey, how about that? No, I think uh, you know, we've we've seen plenty of snoozers um at at street courses in in, in Formula One and it's with the party atmosphere. So that's what I'm hoping. I, I'm thinking, you know, it, it's a really injects some excitement into this race because while it's exciting most of the time i just feel like it's a very pedestrian crowd you know the crowds haven't been great lately you really have to be a dedicated indycar fan to park your car take a bus over and do all that that yeah it's an inconvenience that race let's be honest for a lot of people and including the city of detroit so if they can make this a bigger event for the city and the and then IndyCar, then that's great. You know, let's look at the fin- bottom line financially. If the Detroit Grand Prix in downtown around the Renaissance Center can can inject more money into the economy and 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 really helps the city, 
then that goes back to IndyCar saying, okay, maybe we can raise the uh, the sanctioning fee an extra quarter of a million dollars or something going forward. So I think more money made by the promoters and the city would be good for IndyCar in the end. Oh, and also let's not forget this year they were limited on fan attendance. I mean, they they weren't full capacity. Yeah, no, I mean, it's exception this week of, or this year, of course. I just, you know, it's almost, I don't know if it's the post 500 hangover or what. It just seems like it, it lacks the pizzazz or excitement of of most races and and lacks uh, the buzz it does lack the buzz and i feel a lot of it does have to do with the hangover from the 500 but i also think like you know the majority of people in detroit shouldn't be affected by the post you know 500 hangover in terms of going to a race and i just feel like it's kind of i feel like it's more of a race that a lot of people in the region travel to it's always a race every year where i'm like hey maybe i'll go to detroit this year and i never do (laughs) right it's always up there but you know maybe a change in venue and change of locale is going to bring more, uh, you know, Detroit people out and and really, you know, oh, you know, the background maybe oh, there's a race going on too, but they're also having a lot of fun and spending money and doing all that downtown. Also, it shifting from a double header to just a single race starting this year, which we have not got a clean answer for <laughs> of why. I mean, I'm not mad about it. I'm just wondering why now. What's the reasoning? As a fan. I'm bummed that there's one less race. As someone who cares about the sport, I'm excited for the crew guys and the teams to have less work and to have, you know, a little bit less stress the week after their big event. I mean, look, the the last thing I want to do after the 500 and the grind that is, you know, the season at that point of the year is watch two races in two days. I'm really struggling on Sunday. Uh, unless we have something crazy happen, you know, like with a stuck throttle with with <laughs> Rosenquist or something like that. Like, I really struggle with those those races. And I'm just a fan. I can't imagine the drivers and the teams and the crew. So it, it's a slog for sure at Detroit. Uh, nobody's at their top level. They barely just survived the month of May. And there they are. You know, this week we, we get a week off. But, uh, you know, next year it's right back the week after, right? I want to yeah. say. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, you're just hoping that um, it, it becomes a successful event and, and really really kind of gives a boost to, to that city and the event as well. All right, moving on with uh, some people's comments on Detroit moving downtown. Daniel, SEM 2004, says, I really don't care where they race in Detroit. Bring back Cleveland. <laughs> uh, let's see, who else? Uh, Jordan underscore Wilman says, the girl could be a solid six and a half. <laughs> <laughs> Decent track, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Jensen EV, you know the track uh, we need to be at, dot, dot, dot. Uh, I would assume he's referencing Cleveland, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, all right. So, well, I mean, to be honest, we, 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 we laugh and stuff about Cleveland, but is, is Cleveland really going to draw as much as, as, uh, as Belle Isle does? I mean, comparable probably. I would think if they run the exact same circuit they had before, it's right downtown Cleveland, right off the lake, I think it would draw more. I really do. Think so? Yeah. Okay. The the problem is Mid-Ohio draws so well, and that's, what, like an hour and a half away? Sure. That you kind of you don't want to step on the toes of a, a track that's having a lot of success over the past five or six years as far as attendance goes. Yeah, absolutely. That's the tricky part. I would agree. All right, uh, a couple of tweets here from Nick J. Fletcher. Um, 
This on exclusive Autosport moving up. A huge fan of this. Give me 97, 98 Indy Lights size fields. IndyCar can work backwards in time. Build a 30-car, 20-team Lights field, and this turns into a 30-car, 20-team IndyCar field by 2025, like 95. Uh, Poet Shevchenko says, I remember talking with those guys at their Indy Pro 2000 trailer in 2019. They're telling me about their excitement at moving up to Indy Lights the next season. There's a two-year delay, but I'm glad they finally got to do it. Absolutely. Always good to see more teams. Uh, Nick J. Fletcher also saying, um, let's see here, only eight months. Oh, wait, we already covered that one. So we covered all all of his his tweets. Did you know, Justin, today, as we record this on Thursday night, November 4th? Yes. Today marks the two-year anniversary of Roger Penske, the announcement that Roger Penske was buying IMS and IndyCar. The decision, the IndyCar decision. <laughs> uh, yeah, so much that's gotten some traction today that uh, Andy DeFrancesco retweeted that, um, the father of Devlin. Oh, I, didn't, I did not catch that. Just happened recently. Um, I saw it pop up on my phone. Oh, and wow, like, yeah. That's a very uncommon last name. Let me do some research, and sure <laughs> enough, uh, he's excited that um, it's the two-year anniversary. Of such a thing. Where would we be? Would we be talking about the 2021 season? Oh, I don't. I, don't, I mean, After we've talked about that before, and... but I, I don't know. I really don't know. Yeah. It would be reorganized for sure. Yeah. yeah put it kindly. That's a kind word to use. Reorganize. <laughs> Reorg- restructuring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as they say in business. Yeah. Yes. We're doing a restructuring. Yeah, uh, yeah. Reorganization. As, yes. As, as somebody <laughs> who has been a uh, part of layoffs or close. Yeah. The. the the uh, terms they use, very interesting. Some of the comments on this one, Pochevchenko, that morning in the morning in 2017 when Fernando Alonso announced his entry into the 8500, had me punching the air. Which was early morning. Like, the, the, the we woke up to the news. For Alonso? Yes. Yeah. And, and, and for me, because I don't get up early, I woke up to uh, all the texts from you and <laughs> my brothers and some friends of like, hey, it, I think you said, hey. Get up, loser. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like me. <laughs> Something you would text me. So yeah. it was uh, pretty crazy to wake up to that. Uh, yeah. Hunter's Way 67 says, just wish it had happened in 08 when the merger was announced. Definitely. Wow. Talk about yeah. an interesting rabbit hole to go down. Well, could have been, but also Blade's better than never. Laser Disco says, the right man for the job in Tudor Indy. I remember that morning in the weird atmosphere in the media center. Yeah, because, I mean, they sent out, like, a media alert first, right? And then they... I, I think it was, hey, B, get here at this time. Just, I mean, what a... We got a press conference. Get over here, losers. And <laughs> that, like, That's how they said it, too. Yeah, right? see? And um, they're like, what is going on in early November that we need to be over there? Sure enough. Smart. Yeah, it, it's crazy. It's been two years, and it's crazy to think, like you said, the what ifs had we, you know, not had that happen. Here's something. Here's something really quick where we talk about D, Devlin DeFrancesco. Uh, see here that Mike Tyson. Did you see this? Yes. Tweeted out today that he was proud of my friend Devlin DeFrancesco for signing with Andretti to race on the IndyCar circuit. I did see that. So Mike Tyson congratulating Devlin DeFrancesco. And then last uh, bit on the mailbag. In fact, that was a thing I was going to get to, so you beat me to it. Good job. Oh, sorry. I'm stealing no, your thunder. No, not really. Just just stealing tweets I've liked. <laughs> it's not really a, stealing any thunder here. All right. Uh, thoughts on 
Options for Kirkwood in the uh, Silly Season article by Marshall Pruitt. Hunter's Way 67. Crazy that Michael can't find sponsorship to keep Kirkwood and Cindy Francesco and his money somewhere else. Big loss if KK splits. Uh, N.K. Harden. I figured Michael would have learned after losing Pato a few years ago. When you have talent, you have to do everything to keep them. Uh, Absolutely. Poet Shevchenko. A couple comments props to Rocket for looking like they will stick with Foyt and possibly sponsor a second car. Also, I hope uh, Aero Schmidt, or he's got the acronym backwards, so, <laughs> so I, I lost. I lost a uh, Aero McLaren SB. There, there we you go. go. Makes their third car a partial season star car, like they were planning to do back in 2019. Yeah, sure. that third car, right? I mean, we have no idea yeah. what to expect on. I, I mean, I hope Kirkwood gets that seat, right? At least partially. I mean, even if it's, okay, we're giving you four races, five races, uh, we're going to see how you do, we'll get you through the 500, and then we'll see where we're at money-wise. Well, okay, so that's an interesting question. You look at Kirkwood, and like you said, if if he gets the three races that he gets with the scholarship, so St. Pete, uh, the GP, right, and then the 500. Yeah. And then McLaren says, okay, we're going to give you two to three additional races you know who knows what those would be would it you know long beach maybe i i don't know long beach uh maybe iowa doubleheader or maybe they'll do like just some closer races detroit and mid ohio either way say you get to do five or six races with that team in that third car versus a full-time ride at say foyt or the you know Roden Streets plus the 500 with Carpenter. What do you choose out of those options? Yeah, I feel like you have to go McLaren, is to me. Oh, I would agree. You know? I mean, you're not getting as much seat time, but, but if you know, if you're told and the contract says you move full time the, the next year, you have to take it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and even if it doesn't work out for that, you at least give yourself top equipment to prove yourself and give yourself a chance right absolutely well that wraps up the mailbag as always send us your tweets emails facebook uh messages snail mail carrier pigeon what have you and uh, we'll get to them in the following week's episode all right time for news and notes not not a whole lot to get to that we I, didn't already yeah, we discuss a lot of it right yeah <laughs> so we learned that uh, ims has announced tickets for all their 2022 events carb day Legends Day, Snake Pit is back, practice, badges, parking, camping, BC-39, Indy 8-hour, Indy 500, uh, NASCAR, both IndyCar road course races. Well, there's like five of them now, it seems. All on sale. $4 service fee waived until January 1st, according to Nathan Brown of the Indy Star. But we did learn this, Justin. Lights of the Brickyard will not return for this Bummed. upcoming holiday season. Well, we were going back and forth because I thought that would be a, a cash cow. You know, they're charging, what, 20, 15, 20 bucks a car to go through that. And all they're doing is putting up, you know, a bunch of uh, lights and stuff. And I know the electricity is high, but man, I feel like that was per, a decent amount of money. But maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I mean, you got to throw in inflation and probably, you know, rates could be a little yeah, higher. Pay employees and not having, you know, a full season. Yeah. As far as full attendance. I don't know. You know, maybe just Roger Penske's bullish about, you know, because he talks about this being an entertainment venue. That's an entertainment aspect of things, but maybe it just didn't make money. 
Yeah, well, I'm sure the first year it did really well. The second year, I'm sure there was a drop-off, and who knows if it would have continued regardless. Yeah, true. Something to think about. Uh, Speaking of the Speedway, they have an online auction going underway. Indy44 tweeting out the link, earlsauction.hybid.com, and the hybid is just H-I-B-I-D, and then you can search for it uh, there. They have a lot of, like, social distancing signs <laughs> up for auction. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I browsed through the stuff. They do have some, like, light boards from some of the signage, though, that looks really cool. So Good. we're checking out uh, the stuff I'd want way out of my price range. Like, the there's, like, an <laughs> IMS windsock, and I think it was, like, 1500 bucks. Yeah. I'm not uh, not in that market. <laughs> not at all. Just barely not. You're getting closer, <laughs> yeah. though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if I had that kind of money, I'd probably sponsor a car before buying an uh, online auction item. <laughs> Uh, Jagger Jones, we didn't get to this with Rob, but the grandson of Parnelli Jones is signed with Cape Motorsports for the USF 2000 season. That'll be something interesting to watch this year. Yep. Or I guess next year. And let's see, just a couple other things. Uh, Roman Grosjean uh, had a skin graft on his left hand. Surgery uh, recovery time should be roughly a month, so his hand is all wrapped up again. Probably not going to interfere with any testing between now and the end of the year, so yep. shouldn't be an issue. And uh, Sky Sports, they've secured the IndyCar rights in key European territories, including the UK, until the 2024 season. Very nice. That is something to get excited about. This also includes Germany, Austria, Switzerland, Ireland, and Italy. It's the first time that Sky has covered IndyCar in Germany. The series is currently on Sport 1 Plus. Sweet. Uh, according to motorsportbroadcasting.com. Very nice. We'll take it. Yeah, so improved uh, coverage overseas, always a win. Yeah, and absolutely. S- speaking of TV coverage, Steve Wittich uh, tweeting out, there are zero races where IndyCar and NASCAR are on the same property on the same day during NBC's portion of the Cup schedule. That's with the release of the Cup schedule. Very so nice. That's Whether planned or not, that's good. Well, but you're not going to have those lead-ins, though. True. That's the downside. Yeah, I guess. But I think we saw this year that while the lead-ins help, they're not, you know, the, the product has gotten better. True. And it may not be as necessary. Yep. Not that it's not going to help, because it would help. Right. But Cup, going back to those, what, 3.30 start times, I know the fans are mad about that. Uh, Rightfully so. Yeah, I'd agree. All right. And with that, Justin, I think uh, that covers it. Have we missed anything else out there? Um, I don't think so. Um, kind of looking at um, the landscape of things. It was a week, you know, of a lot of little things, but nothing, nothing too crazy. So, um, hopefully, we'll get some some big announcements heading into next week. Well, with that, I'm ready for your random split era driver of the week. Are you ready? I am ready. Well, we went cart last week, which means we're back into the IRL this week, and we're targeting the 1996 IRL season. Uh, looking back, it was a um, who Alessandro won the What? Uh, that's I'm just guessing a driver. No. Okay. Who won in '96? Who won the championship in '96? Uh, it was a tie, right? Between yes. Buzz Calkins and Scott Sharp. Good job. You're so smart. Gonna, <laughs> we, we talk about this every week. I know we do. <laughs> uh, just seeing if you forgot, but we're going to go with Hemelgarn Racing for for this week. We're in IRL 1996, and we're going to go with Brad Murphy. Who? Brad Murphy, my friends. 
Uh, he was a uh, former IndyCar driver racer in the Indy Racing League. Actually made three starts uh, and finished in 23rd place in the, let's see, 1996 Indianapolis 500. But in 96 and 97 season, he also raced at New Hampshire and Vegas. Three career starts, all with Hemelgarn Racing. Um, his last IRL race was the inaugural 500K at Las Vegas, where his right leg pelvis was broken while involved in an accident with Eddie Cheever and Stefan Gregoire on lap 29. He also raced in Indy Lights, Trans Ams, uh, Formula Super V, Formula 4. Uh, he attempted to qualify for the kart races at Mid-Ohio in Vegas way back in 1984, but failed to do so. So between 1984... He and, went to Indy Lights then. And then went to Indy Lights for <laughs> three years in like the late mid to late 80s uh, with Lewis Motorsports and Team Car International. Never won a race. Uh, won top five. But um, even between 1988 was his final year in Indy Lights and then came around to the uh, IRL in 96. Did the 500 and then two races the year after. The most fascinating part <laughs> yeah, I just about that. Brad Murphy <laughs> is this. And this is quoting Wikipedia. Despite many websites stating that he is Australian, Murphy was born and raised in Arizona and has, in fact, never been to Australia. He believes the misconception was due to the fact that most of his race crew during his entire career was from Australia or New Zealand and that the phenomena of him being incorrectly identified as Australian predates the Internet. All right. This is not the fascinating thing that I read then. I, oh, really? I read, what do you there's got? Trivia. Uh, below his uh, IndyCar, well, sorry, his IRL stats. Okay. I'm going to be correct here with the semantics. He is often referred to as Bronco Brad Murphy, as he is a former Bronco riding champion. Wow. Look at that. Fascinating. Fascinating. So, uh, Brad Murphy, still with us, born December 27th, 1955 in Tucson, Arizona, not Australia, despite what people thought. Um, but tried to qualify for two kart races in 84, then did three seasons in the Lights and appeared in three races in the IRL. Finished 23rd at the 1996 Indianapolis 500, uh, despite not finishing the race. Uh, he, he went out uh, at some point, but finished 23rd. So uh, Brad Murphy, this week's Split Era Random Driver of the Week. A lot more attrition back in those days, but fascinating, uh, fascinating entry. And every week I say who, and that is genuine. That is not. That's the. Like, that's, I legitimately have never heard. That's of That's what people. I need. The time I say I hear, oh yeah, is the time that <laughs> I completely re reexamine this feature. And and you know, eventually I will have. Heard I know. Of the guy. I'm or just gal. not sure when it's going to happen. Actually, I, I would think if you use a gal it's as your easy driver to, choice, yeah. I mean, I think I would know. Yeah, absolutely. Anna Beatrice. <laughs> not a split error driver, so it doesn't count. True, does not count. Milka Duno. Would she be split error? Right? Yeah. Yeah. 2007, right? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, right at the tail That one would qualify. Yep. All right, time for Tweets of the Week. And this is actually a thread, but I found it interesting. Uh, Sam Rumpsa, I apologize if I mispronounce your last name. I believe he's like does stuff for IndyCar Radio. Uh, he says, I've spent entirely too much time on this thought exercise, but it's fun. So here it goes. IndyCar drivers as NFL quarterbacks. For clarification, I compare the Super Bowl to the Indy 500 and not the season championship. All right, so we, we look at this. First one he has, Elio Castroneves is Tom Brady. Say that checks the box, right? Uh, yeah. 
Scott Dixon is Aaron Rodgers. And then his argument, one of the all-time greats, no doubt, unreal stats, but somehow has only won the big one once. Checks out. Yeah. Uh, Alexander Rossi is Patrick Mahomes. I would go okay. Herta here. I don't yeah. know. Uh, Alex Pillow is Russell Wilson. Yeah. Pato Award is Kyler Murray. Yeah. Colton Herta is Joe Burrow. Nah, Colton Herta is better than Joe Burrow. I feel. And then Scott McLaughlin is Tua Tagovailoa. <laughs> okay. And, oh, wait, one more. Willpower is Drew Brees. Ah, uh, yeah, I could see that. Although Drew is a very nice guy. Doesn't seem ever to lose his cool. <laughs> and unlike Willpower. And actually, there are a few more. This thread keeps going. Renus VK is Carson Wentz. Yeah. Uh, got off to a great start, but got hurt and unfortunately struggled. Has all the tools to get back on top. James Hinchcliffe is Tony Romo. That one makes ah. perfect sense. So that that is the list. There you go. And I thought it was a fascinating uh, thread and yeah. uh, what what was out there. So that is that, and that is uh, this week's Hold episode. On. Oh, Hold on. Oh, we you got, got something else here. We got one more thing. Uh, this is at racefans.net, and uh, it's talking about Drive to Survive with Michael Andretti and uh, how he has heard rumors of a potential IndyCar parallel to F1's Drive to Survive and uh, was asked about his opinion. And Andretti goes on to say, I guess it could be good. I just don't want it to be trying to do the same thing. I don't know if it'll have the same effect. Because I think the politics and the things, the stories are a little different in IndyCar. I think there's a little more drama in F1 because there's a lot more backstabbing and things like that. I think over there, there's a lot more camaraderie, and it's more about the racing on the racetrack, talking about IndyCar, than the politics off the racetrack. Um, then goes, I'm not sure uh, if it would have the same interest, but maybe if they could come up with a different angle, it would be good. And then the, the closing quote, I think what makes the those those stories interesting in F1 is everybody hates each other and everybody has their knives out to stab each other in the back. You don't really have that as much in IndyCar, so you don't have that same type of ugly drama. And he's absolutely right. Yeah, they're not looking to stab each other in the back in IndyCar. Why do people tune into NASCAR races late at restrictor plate tracks? Because there's drama. Well, why it's do people, because they want to see people crash each other. Yeah, why do people watch reality television? Because there's drama, right? Why do people watch Drive to Survive? Because there's drama. What drama is in IndyCar from week to week? Uh, and I, I'm going to lean back on it. I think the, the most drama you have is the month of May. And, and you have a show you know, built around the month of May and tell all the stories uh, within. But uh, that's a late add to the show from racefans.net. Some interesting quotes from Michael Andretti, and he's 100% spot on. Do you think he has another offer for an F1 team, say, in the next two to three years? I think I asked you that last week. Yes, but. and I'm going to continue to say I agree. I don't think anything comes for tomorrow, for next year, but I think after 2022, if it doesn't go the way that some um, teams are hoping, I think you can see a couple for sale. Maybe not officially for sale, but maybe, you know, behind. Entertaining offers. Yeah, under the table kind of dealings, you know, definitely entertaining offers would be the, the good term there. All right, with that late submission, that will wrap up this week's episode. Thanks to Rob Howden, our Road to Indy Insider for joining us with all things on the IndyCar Rookies, Indy Lights, and the Road to Indy Ladder. And uh, for Justin Kinney, I am Caleb Hatch. We'll be back with another episode next week of all things IndyCar. Thanks for joining us on New Track Record Podcast. Podcast. 
podcasts by Federated Media. Mm-hmm.